And in the show, Bob Newhart played a Chicago psychologist by the name of Robert Bob Hartley. And on one particular episode, a young lady comes in and shares that she has a particular phobia. She says, I I just have a hard time believing that I'm going to be buried alive and I begin to panic. And Bob responds by saying, has anyone ever tried to bury you alive? And she responds, well, no, but I mean, it's affecting my life. I can't go into elevators. I I can't go into tunnels, anywhere that's boxy. I, I just avoid. And Bob Newhart says, or Bob Hartley says, well, I think I, I think I know what we're looking at here. I think you're claustrophobic. And she says, yes, yes, that's exactly right. And he said, okay, so I, I'm going to give you some advice here. And uh, she says, okay, do I need to write it down? And he said, no, yeah, probably not. If you want to, that's fine. But it's only two words. And most people have no problem remembering these two words. Are you ready? And she nods her head, yes. And Bob responds with the words, stop it. That's it. That's his advice. Stop it. Now, there's, there's more to it than that, but I don't have the comedic talent like Bob Newhart has. I'll spare you the details. But you think about how many Christians try to live their lives by just stopping it. You know, believing that if they just try to stop it, if they just try really hard, that they're going to make it through life without sinning. Can you imagine Bob Newhart as a preacher? Somebody comes in and says, well, I'm worried. Well, stop it. The Bible says don't worry. Well, I'm afraid. Well, stop it. The Bible says do not fear. I I, I feel guilty. Well, stop it. You can't live in the past. Does that strategy work? Well, no, it absolutely does not. But that doesn't keep people from employing it. It's the law and order method of handling sin. Control your actions. Bridle your tongue. Exercise better self-discipline. Follow the rules. Straighten up and fly right. Grit your teeth. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Just stop it. And we believe on a pretty profound level that this is a tried and true method of dealing with the sin in our lives and being a better disciple. But we might as well just tell someone to do this, right? Just strain really hard and try really hard, and that's going to make it happen. It just doesn't work. As much as we might like it to, stop it just doesn't work. I went to see my doctor not long ago, Dr. Longley, and the occasion was my yearly physical. And so after he does the physical and runs through the blood work with me and the results, he says, is there anything else that you're having an issue with? And I said, well, my shoulder, it's not bad, but uh, there's some pain that has gotten my attention. Every time I do this, it hurts. And that's when Dr. Longley handed down his professional medical opinion. He says, well, then stop doing this. And I, I guess that would help. Uh, obviously, he was joking because he totally understands that such advice does not get to the root of the problem. I want you to notice what is written in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 29. It says, His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. There are two absolute truths in this passage. Did you pick up on them? Number one is tribulation can be expected. Number two, victory 
can be expected. Some of you probably remember sitting on the couch on Saturday afternoons and watching ABC's Wide World of Sports. Do you remember the opening to that program? You know, you have the melodramatic introduction, that, that catchphrase that always was in the introduction, the, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And during the opening montage, you had several images of victory followed by a ski jumper's, you know, drastic, dreadful crash during a competition. And that's what Jesus is describing here. He's assuring his disciples that there will be the agony of defeat in this life, but there will also be the thrill of victory because this life, no matter how turbulent it may be, is lined with hope. While tribulation is guaranteed, so is the thrill of victory. Now look at 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, same John, same message. And at first, it may seem like John is applying the law and order method. You want to overcome the world? Well, then just do what God says. But keep in mind that these words were not written to folks who were asking about becoming a Christian. These words were written to people who were already Christians. And John is reminding them of this fact that they are not of the world. They have hope, and he's encouraging them to remain faithful so that this hope will be realized on the day of Jesus' return or on the day of their death, whichever one comes first. Now, whether it was the apostles or the church, John's message was loud and clear. Disciples lose nothing in the end. We overcome as long as we place our true faith in the overcomer. Again, that sounds oversimplified. It doesn't sound much different than just try harder or stop it. But stay with me here. All you need is faith, but faith must be well-placed. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Daniel chapter 6. You know, much of the Bible is dedicated to the theme of living as exiles. How do you live as an exile? Have you ever noticed that? The Bible spends a lot of time talking about that, both in the Old Testament and even for us as disciples today because we are living as exiles. And Daniel is one book that highlights this exile ethic. Read with me in Daniel chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners of whom Daniel was one that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. So every effort 
to expose some flaw in Daniel's character came up empty. Daniel is an old man at this point. By this time, he uh, had lived his adult life living in the courts of various rulers. And through it all, he has remained faithful to his God. He is now serving under King Darius, who is ruler over a new kingdom, that of Medo-Persia. And while some things have changed, one thing remains the same. Daniel's faith will be put to the test. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that Daniel had the right kind of enemies. You can tell a lot about a person's character and integrity by looking at the people that don't like him. The people who hated Daniel were not loyal to God. They attacked Daniel's faith because they couldn't find any holes in his character. No finer thing could be said of us than for our enemies to look at us and say, I can find nothing wrong. I can't find any holes in his character. The commissioners and satraps couldn't find any dirt to use against Daniel, so they had to come up with a different plan. So let's continue reading in verse 6 and following. It says, Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. So Darius took the bait from the satraps and the commissioners. He fell for their scheme. I mean, after all, who doesn't like to have their ego stroked? And the moment the document was signed, Daniel's fate was sealed. He could either bow to the king's edict or bow to God. And for Daniel, it was a no-brainer. You know, in the realm of coaching, preparation is a huge deal. You prepare sometimes by going and watching the other team that you're going to face play, or maybe you watch film of that team, and we call this scouting. You look for their weaknesses and also their strengths, and you devise a game plan. Now, as a coach, I always felt like scouting was important, but I didn't feel like it was the most important thing. I felt like if we ran our system well, we're going to be okay. In other words, if we do the things that we do well, we're not going to have to worry about what the other team does to us. So for me, it wasn't so much about what the other team could do. It was about playing our game and asserting our will and attacking. If we did that, it didn't matter what the other team did to us. At least that was the theory. That was Daniel's game plan as well, to play his game or to trust God's game plan. He wasn't going to change a thing. Daniel teaches us a very important lesson when it comes to facing the pressures of the world, and that is just keep on being what you've always been. When faced with the stark reality of the lion's den, Daniel did not bend. Read with me in verses 10 through 13. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king replied, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. 
Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Daniel kept being who he had always been. Nothing changed for Daniel. The king's edict certainly didn't change things for Daniel. Scripture states that once the document was signed, the first thing Daniel did was hit his knees. And apparently, he didn't try to hide his actions because it didn't take the commissioners and satraps long to find out what he was doing. Daniel had never been the kind of person who hid his devotion to God, and he wasn't going to start now. Daniel didn't suddenly come to the realization that he was under surveillance and try to frantically cover his tracks. He was already faithful. He was free from corruption in this present because he had been free from corruption in the past. So when they called for the lions, Daniel simply did what he'd always done. You know, if you're going to run a marathon, you don't start training the day of the race. If you're going to play in a football game, you don't learn how to throw the football the day of the game. Or if you're going to play a baseball game, you don't try to learn the rules the day of the game. And you don't wait until the day that your life is investigated to start living godly. We should be working diligently each and every day to be Christ-like so that when the pressure is on, we don't have to change anything. When the lions start growling, we don't have to start running. Because we just keep being who we've always been. You know, Daniel could have closed his windows and found a more secure place to pray. He could have simply prayed in his heart while observing the king's edict outwardly. He could have reasoned in his mind that the statute only lasts 30 days. So just go along to get along and, you know, still pray to God in private. He could have come up with several excuses to avoid being the lion's lunch. But Daniel made up his mind prior to all of that that he was going to serve God no matter what. Now that devotion was once again being put to the test, and Daniel kept on being what he had always been, but he also kept on doing what he had always done. His windows were already open. His life was marked by prayer. And what do you do when your life is destined for the lion's den? Where do you turn when death is imminent? You do the one thing you've always done, and you turn to the same one you've always turned to. You know, some have concluded that Daniel's house was the real lion's den because that's where this whole battle was won, on his knees, before God. Daniel is assured victory. A key verse in this, in this whole matter is verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He'd been doing what he'd always done. It says, as he had been doing previously. The circumstances of the moment didn't change Daniel's approach. He had done this before. Daniel's commitment level wasn't determined by how life was playing out in the moment. Hitting his knees was already a staple. It was a daily priority for him anyway. You think about how the lions must have felt in that moment. You think about the lions in your den right now. How are you handling them? Many of you have faced some pretty ferocious lions in your life and you live to tell about it. What got you through? My friend, there will always be lions, but there will always be God as well. The last thing we should ever do when we find ourselves in the lion's den is turn our backs on God. The first thing we do is hit our knees. We are never stronger than we, when we are bowed low before God. And if we want to keep from being the lion's lunch, 
then we must begin today building a deep, rock-solid faith and not wavering when the lines growl. Let's keep reading. Verses 16 and following, it says, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace, and he spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near to the den, uh, near the den to uh, Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I, have, as I was found innocent before him and also toward you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the, the den, And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children and their wives, into the lion's den. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I want you to notice something about the character of Daniel here. I want you to take note of his profound trust in God. You know, we read this story with the benefit of knowing the outcome. Daniel didn't. He didn't know what the outcome was going to be. He may very well have died at the hands or the mouths of the lions, right? But that was okay. Because whether God spared his life or not, Daniel had set his sights on something bigger. He knew that his fate was sealed either way, that he was going to be with God. So Daniel entered the lion's den in full faith that whether he was eaten alive or unscathed, he was in good hands. This level of trust was nothing new for Daniel. You know, we could go back to chapter 1 and we could see Daniel, the young Daniel, and how he refused to eat the king's food. We could see his tremendous faith on display there. We could go to chapter 2 and we could re-examine the confidence he had to interpret the king's dreams. We could revert back to chapter 4 and see the boldness by which he told the truth. We could go back uh, back to chapter 5 and see how he trusted God enough to turn down honor and prestige for doing the right thing. Daniel's faith was certainly well-placed, and it was secure from the beginning so that when he faced the lions, he was not unprepared. He just kept trusting in whom he had always trusted. It's not that Daniel had to, had to muster up enough courage to overcome his fear. That courage, that trust had been there all along. If we trust in God when the pressure is light, we're going to be much more apt to trust him when the burdens are heavier. But if we can't even trust God in our lighter moments of life, chances are we won't have the confidence to trust Him when trials come our way. You know, it's interesting to consider this story from the lion's point of view. How frustrating would it have been for them who were so hungry and expecting their next meal, yet they were unable to eat it. If they hadn't gotten Daniel out of there, the lions would have starved to death. You see, Daniel wasn't in the lion's den. The the lions were in Daniel's den. More importantly, God was in the den with Daniel. 
And therefore, these ferocious beasts were nothing more than harmless kittens. Now, there are a few things to note here. Number one, God allowed Daniel to go into the lion's den. I think that's important. Daniel stood firm in his faith. Through it all, he remained boldly convicted. God didn't reward Daniel by sending a bolt of lightning to strike down all of his enemies. He could have, but he didn't. Daniel still went into the lion's den. Secondly, you'll notice that God shut the mouths of the lions, but he doesn't always. There were many first century Christians who died at the hands of the lions that were ripped apart by lions because of their faith. There were others who were sawn in two, burned at the stake, beheaded, all because of their faith. God doesn't promise to rescue us from the lion's den. However, he does promise to be with us because live or die, victory is assured. And finally, Daniel teaches us that doing the right thing can come with consequences I think some people have this idea that truth always wins. It does in the spiritual realm, but not always in the physical life. Doing the right thing is always the right thing because it's pleasing to God. However, the truth doesn't always win from an earthly perspective. You will not always be rewarded for standing for God in this life. In fact, in this day and age, standing for God will almost always bring persecution. Don't always expect earthly praise for heavenly values. If you are a Christian, you will face opposition like Daniel we must always remember the real issue. So, how does all this talk about Daniel relate to Jesus being the one who overcomes? Well, Daniel is a precursor to the Messiah and to the coming kingdom. You see, God let Daniel in on a little secret. Actually, it was more than a little secret. It was a huge secret. Daniel served under multiple rulers in Babylon and Medo-Persia. He saw kings reach great heights and endure great falls. And through various visions, Daniel saw even more rulers rise and fall. But the most important lesson he learned in all of this was that God is in control. Every empire has to answer to God. There is no king or kingdom that God is not in charge of or that he doesn't rule over. And God was going to establish a new kingdom, one that would never fail, one that would obliterate all other kingdoms of the earth, one that would endure forever. But Daniel and the other exiles had to wait, had to be patient. They would have to be faithful as they waited for their overcoming moment. And we, as exiles, have to do the same. It's not easy living day to day in Babylon. And some days this world seems more like a lion's den, doesn't it? And we're anxious, we're fearful, we're worried, we're well acquainted with the agony of defeat. But we wait. We wait with anticipation. We wait in hopeful anticipation for the great overcomer to return. And while we wait, we simply continue being what we've always been, doing what we've always done, and trusting in whom we've always trusted. So let me ask you this morning, how about you? If you were to continue being who you've always been, what would be the end result? If you were to continue doing what you've always done, what would be the result? Is your faith well-placed? The lions are growling. Will you be their lunch?